Hello, hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. To all... Th- no, seven. Oh, I, do you know what? I'm beginning to lose count, actually. <laughs> We've got listeners coming out of our ears. This is Factorally. Indeed it is. And he's Simon Wells. And he is Bruce Fielding. And we are going to talk to you about facts. So Bruce and I very much enjoy facts. We like useless information. We like um, researching things. We're that annoying chap in the pub who puts his hand in the air and goes, Ah, did you know? Yes. We also like the sounds of our own voices, but that's not really surprising. Uh, It's not surprising. No, we are both uh, voiceover artists and uh, we spend a vast proportion of our time sitting in a small space talking to ourselves um in padded spaces padded spaces surrounded by expensive microphones and uh and tech yes and so on so every week we take a different subject we've had all sorts of interesting subjects in the past but today yeah. today we're going to be talking about fish well that is a very very different kettle of fish isn't it why why is it called a kettle of fish why a kettle i don't know why is it called a kettle of fish i don't know <laughs> it's called a kettle of fish. Um, so this is a, a, a copper kitchen receptacle that you lay a whole fish in. You put water in the bottom. Uh, the water boils. Oh, it steams kettle. the fish. So it's a fish kettle. It's yes. a kettle of fish. Yes, I've go. seen those. I've never used one. I've never used that's one what it either. Is. But we are going to have to get to the culinary bit of fish at some point. Yes, it's quite a big factor of the whole topic, isn't it? So let's start with let's start with them when they're still alive. So. Fish. Um, the the definition of the word fish is it, it's quite vague, but it's a creature that lives in water and breathes through gills and uses fins and a tail for swimming. So that can apply to quite a lot of creatures. Yes. And um, the the etymology of the word fish comes from the Latin word piscis, which gives us the star sign Pisces. It gives us the French word poisson. Even indirectly, it gives us the word porpoise. Uh, and piscatarians, piscatarians, um, and it gives us fish, which obviously sounds nothing like it. But we are English, and we change and we morph and we end up. I guess unless it starts words. with PH or something. <laughs> um, now, fish is um, a, a, a bit of a, a sticky topic in some circles. Some would claim that there is no such thing as a fish. I've heard this. Which, apart from being the title of a podcast, which both of us enjoy listening to. Definitely. Um, it is a, a scientific debate that, that goes on that um, this term fish is just so, so broad. And all of the creatures that we used to just call a type of fish have been classified, reclassified, given very, very technical scientific names um, until there's such a point now where there's no real need scientifically for the word fish. I mean, when, when, the, when the word fish applies to creatures so diverse as a starfish, a jellyfish, a crayfish, Excuse a me, shellfish... Can I, just, can I just stop you there? You may. A jellyfish isn't a fish. Well, precisely. Neither is a starfish. No. And neither is a crayfish. No. Exactly. That's the point. That There are so many... The word fish, going back to about the 14th century, the word fish was a generic word for pretty much any animal that lived in the sea. But a seahorse is a fish, even though it's not a horse. Hang on a second, Bruce. <laughs> what are you saying? There are horses that are fish, <laughs> but there's jelly that isn't. 
Great. Yep, fine. <laughs> so you can see why scientists don't really like using the word because it's a bit vague and it's a bit broad and it's not specific enough, uh, which has led to, to some scientists saying there is no creature that you can point at and say that is a fish and nothing else. Therefore, fish don't exist. But if they did exist, there would be a lot of them. Yes. Do you know how many? How many fish in the sea? I know there are always plenty more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, think, I think there are about sort of like 30,000 varieties of fish or something. That's a lot, isn't it? It's an awful lot of fish. And of that, of that 30,000 different types of fish around the world, do you know how many different species we have around the UK coasts? I have no idea. Just 300. So where are the other 29,700 living? Elsewhere. <laughs> um, this, this, this planet has quite a lot of water on it, so um, there is an awful lot of space for those fish, if indeed they are fish, to live. Well, technically, I guess they live in, the, in a bigger environment than the environment that we live in, because not only are they sort of just the surface area, they also go down quite a long way as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they've got a lot more... Um, I was going to say they've got a lot more ground to cover, but that's completely the point. They don't. They have, <laughs> they have a lot more water to cover than we have ground to cover. <laughs> they do. They do. And, there's, and you see them in like vast numbers in some places and then none at all in others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're, they're so diverse in, in terms of their size, shape, color, physiology, everything. Yeah, some, of those, some of those deep sea fish look really weird. They do, don't they? Yes. Uh, there are species of fish that have become blind over the over the generations because they live in such dark places that they've evolved to not not need their eyes but they but generally i think fish have really good senses don't they they can hear yeah. really well they can see really well and smell really well yes yes um that that old thing about a, a shark being able to smell one drop of blood in in a hundred gallons or whatever it is of water yes is quite impressive very um and sharks of course come under the they're the, fish they're, they are fish. They are fish. Uh, whales are not, because whales are mammals. Which um, is defined as? Something different. <laughs> I think it has to give birth uh, to live young. Rather than And eggs. then suckle. That seems reasonable. Yes. Um, so whales are not fish. Um, but the whale shark <laughs> is a fish. <sighs> yeah, I know. It's a headache. Um, and the whale shark is, in fact the biggest fish hey. in, uh, in the world. Um, whale sharks have been known on occasion to grow up to 18 metres in length from tip of the nose to the tip of the tail. That's, that's quite big. If it's I saw one large. of those coming, I would worry. So that's the, the largest fish, um, the whale shark. By contrast, the world's smallest fish is really difficult to pronounce. So we're going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try anyway. It's called the Pedocypress progenetica. Well. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, so we've done the big fish, the little fish. What we should really do now. Something about cardboard boxes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, this little fish, this um, Pedocypress progenetica, is roughly 10 millimeters in length. Um, so less than half an inch. It, it's about a, it's about a yeah. fingernail, <laughs> and these are found off the coast of Sumatra and the UK. I didn't realise this. Did you know fish don't have eyelids? Ah, so they can never blink. 
sorry, most fish don't have eyelids. Sharks, for some reason, do. But the vast majority of fish don't have eyelids. So never and enter a staring competition. Never enter a staring competition with a fish. And this is because um, eyelids in, in, in land-living creatures such as ourselves, eyelids are there to moisten the eyes. And what with living in water, mm. fish's eyes are moist the whole time, and therefore yes. they don't need eyelids. Well, that never occurred to me. That never occurred to me either. Well, there you go. That's amazing. Mm. So, no eyelids. No eyelids. Um, and lay eggs. They lay eggs, yes. They, um, they breathe through gills. Do you know much about gills? I don't. So, gills are, um, they are sort of a fibrous strand-like organ. They, they sort of look a bit like the strings of a harp. And they they sit just under the the flank, the side of the the, the fish, and the fish takes a, a large mouthful of oxygen rich water. It passes over the gills, and the gills have blood running through them. And by some form of osmosis, the oxygen from the water seeps into the bloodstream, circulates around the fish, and then the water that's just had the oxygen removed from it is passed out through a small hole behind the gills back into the water. Well, there you go. And that can be seawater or freshwater, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there are different species of fish that prefer to live in in one or t'other. Um, but the principle is is the same. I, I don't know how the the saltiness or lack thereof affects that process. No, I if, wouldn't. If I, at all. I, I can't work it out either. But um, maybe you get saltier air. Maybe you do get saltier air. If anyone knows the answer to that, yes, drop it in the comments. It's what the comments are for. We we love learning as much as we love boring the pants off everyone we know with this trivia. So um, if you know something we don't know, please tell us. There are fish that can, you know, like talking of like a fish out of water. <laughs> there are actually fish that can survive for short periods out of water. There's a are there? there's a fish called a mud skipper okay. that um, can actually sort of walk on its fins from place to place, like from one body of water to another body of water on land. Really? Uh, and it kind of like, it holds water in itself. It's it, almost like wearing a an astronaut suit full of air. It kind okay. of wears an astronaut suit full of water and it just holds this water in and re-oxygenates re, re um, while walking across land. Mudskippers. Brilliant. Weird things. Huh, interesting. And then there's the, the flying variety of fish. Yes. Um, which don't fly. No. Um, but they, they swim very, very fast up and out of the water. Their fins look vaguely wing-like. They do sort of glide a bit. They, they glide a bit, but not much. Um, and then plop back down into the water again. Yes. But they look lovely when you're, when you're on a boat and you see a whole shoal of mm. flying fish coming past you. Shoals are interesting, actually. I was just going to say, you've just said the word shoal. Is there a difference between a shoal and a school? Ooh. Because fish gather in both. Is it just a mispronunciation? I, I think it's probably just British people. You know how we sort of like anglicise words. We do that. Probably it's probably officially a shoal. Yes. And officially, somebody, somebody English officially. said. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somebody English said, oh, I can't I can't be bothered to pronounce shoal. Let's yeah. call it a school. School sounds a bit like school. school. I know the yeah. word school. That works. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they're they're defensive generally, aren't they? Shoals. They are, yes. Yeah. So the, the the point of a shoal is that um, they're sort of they exist for the greater good. Um, what's the word for it? Sort of herd immunity. If if a predator is going after 
a single fish, it, it will win. If a predator goes after a shoal of several hundred fish, it might only capture a couple of them, and the majority is kept safe. So it's a, a form of protection in groups, safety in numbers. Um, and the way that the, the shoal of fish move around, uh, it, it sort of confuses the predator into thinking that it's one entity rather than yes. hundreds. So you see together. a dirty great thing coming at you. And yeah. you're go, I think I'm not going to tangle with this. Absolutely, yeah. And um, if you sort of see footage of a, of a shoal of fish suddenly moving, changing direction, and the way they reflect light, that's one of the purposes of a fish having scales. Um, so the scales of a fish help to protect it a little bit like armor. They help to make it more uh, aquadynamic. Is that the watery equivalent of yes. aerodynamic? It yes. Is. Yes. Helps them swim faster. <laughs> um, and they can really go for it. Actually, tuna, I think, goes about 70. 70, 70K, 70K, so about sort really? of 45 miles an hour, yeah. That's quick, isn't it? That's very quick. Gosh. But the, the, the scales thing's interesting because um, people have found uses for scales. If you ever see somebody in lipstick, the likelihood is that they are wearing fish scales. Right. Because they use a lot of fish scales in lipstick to make, them, to make it shiny. Do they? Huh. But we, use, we do use bits of fish for all sorts of interesting things. My, my favorite thing, which I discovered only recently, is that because fish live in a, in generally in cold places, I mean, the, the sea is cold, hmm. and the deeper you go, the colder it gets. Yeah. And generally, it's below sort of freezing. Yeah. And because it's salt water, it doesn't freeze at, at freezing point. It sort sure. of freezes lower than freezing point. But the fish have to defend their blood from freezing. You don't, oh. want, to, you don't want your blood to freeze. Maybe. So fish have actually developed a, an ice-structuring protein, um, which stops their blood from freezing. Interesting. And Unilever have actually decided that it's a really good idea to take a clone of this protein mm. and use it in the manufacture of ice cream. Because if you use it in ice cream, ice cream doesn't then melt um, at quite such high. Uh, it actually melts at a lower temperature because yes. it's using this protein. So, so you, if you've got your Magnum or your or your Cornetto or something, <laughs> the reason why it doesn't just melt and go all over your fingers immediately is because it's got this protein in it that, oh. that keeps it icy and cold for yes. longer. Well, I never knew that. There's lots of other things we don't know. I mean, fish is fish are weird because we know quite a lot about fish generally from catching them and eating them. Mm. Um, but there are th there are certain things that we don't know that um, human beings have spent a lot of money on finding out where eels come from. And eels are so fascinating. Eels, especially European eels. European eels are wild. Right. I could do a whole episode on eels. They are I they are dare so you. good. Um, for years and years, since, since, since the Greeks, since, since Aristotle and, and Pliny and that lot, um, eels have been fascinating people hmm. because they don't appear to have any reproductive organs, and All yet right. there's always eels. Oh, okay. So how does that happen? Magic. And where do eels breed? It was believed that you know, they were magic or that 
the way that eels bred was that they scraped against rocks and bits of eel would turn into fresh eels. Okay. There, there was all sorts of beliefs about e eels and there were sort of, they had magic powers and you could wear a coat of eel skin and mm. that, would, that would protect you from the dark forces. And mm. there's all this wild stuff about eels. And it was only kind of reasonably recently that people started to go, well, actually, where do eels come from? And it, it, was, the, it was the mission in life of a guy... Uh, who was a Danish. I mean, the Danes eat a lot of eels. Right, okay. And um, this Danish guy was so passionate about it, he spent every penny he had um, trying to find where eels went to breed. Ah. And then he got married to his boss's daughter. Right. And given that he worked at the Carlsberg Brewery, his boss right. had quite a lot of money. Well, and naturally. so did the boss's daughter. So he spent millions. But whenever you have a bottle of Carlsberg, think mm -hmm. of an eel, because mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the money went, was to, to find oh, right. the source of the eels. And where he managed to track them to was the Sargasso Sea in the Atlantic. This is a, this is a sea within a sea. And the Sargasso Sea is about the size of Germany, France, and the UK combined. It's huge. Crikey, it's that's a, a lot of water. Sea. And so mapping it to try and find out the exact spot where eels went to breed was practically impossible. Mm. Um, and eels also have a weird life because they change from being these little sort of like centimeter long things mm. to, uh, Euro this is European eels, right? Um, to then they become um, an invisible fish. <laughs> They're sort of like these trans translucent fish. Oh, really? And then they go from translucent fish into sort of like a yellow eel. Mm. And that's when they're sort of growing up. And then they eat everything they can until they get to the point where it's time to go and spawn again. And then they turn into these silver things, which then go back to the Sargasso Sea. And they haven't at this point got any reproductive organs. But on the swim back from Europe to the Sargasso Sea, they grow oh, organs. That's when they grow all the bits that you need to reproduce. Incredible. So they spend however much of their life it is uh, genderless, and it's only on their way back to reproduce that they suddenly start growing the reproductive organs to, to do the job. Yes, and this is why they were so popular amongst um, ancient Greeks and, and yeah. people, people in, the, in medieval times, is because they were seen as pure. They were seen as something oh. which was not led by their sexual desires. They had no right. sexual desires because they had no sex. Yes, yeah, sure. And I, whenever I think of eels, I, I always sort of think of... Um, the fens, you know, around um, sort of Cambridgeshire going into East Anglia. Yes. And the mysticism and the eeriness that, that sort of that is represented by that place. So I suppose that's, yes. that sort of goes hand in hand with that landscape, doesn't it? It does. And, and they are amazing. I mean, they are huge. They used to be um, food that, you know, that was everywhere and they mm. were, it was very cheap. They're now one of the most expensive foods you can buy. Really? Which has meant that there is a massive trade in illegal eel smuggling. Illegal eel. Now, that's, illegal eel. that's a good tongue twister for the day, isn't it? So this illegal trade in European eels is worth about two and a half billion pounds a year. No. Yes. And people smuggle them in from Europe into Japan in suitcases, in crates, in whatever they can find. It's so valuable to, to have eels. Wow. They're one of the most valuable things you can smuggle sort of after drugs. And yet, I think of eels as, as being a very common food, sort of the, the preserve of East Londoners for generations, you know, 
They were, but now they're getting... and deal pies and things. Well, one of the things that's happening is because the smugglers are culling the young eels Mm. and not letting them get back to the Sargasso Sea to breed, Mm, mm. um, they're becoming more and more rare. Although... Interesting. They're... Now that um, they know about this smuggling trade, they're they're cracking down on it so that the eel population is rising again. But right. it was shrinking quite significantly because of this eel smuggling. Wow. Do you know um do you know what a young eel is called? I do. But tell me. It's called an elva. Isn't that lovely? That's a nice word, elva. Elva's great. Uh, the Latin name for an eel is anguilla anguilla. Right. Eels are also, I mean, they're very long-lived. They can live up, like, up to 80 years. Well, um, They can live, you know, obviously they get eaten and, and what have you. Yes, sure. all sorts of shenanigans. Yeah. They, can, they can switch from being freshwater to seawater. Okay. Um, they, can, they, they come as little as like uh, five millimeters long mm-hmm. and as long as three meters. Oh, my goodness. So um, <laughs> a, a decent-sized moray eel is nine foot long and weighs about the same as me. And I'm wow, not small. That's impressive, isn't it? I know. They're, they're just, it's just a massive. There's something like 800 species of, of eel. Crikey. I mean, we talked about you know, how many species of fish there are. Of those species, 800 of them are eels. Who'd have thought? I I did, yeah, I, I'd sort of, I picture an eel and I picture a moray or a conger, I guess. Yes. And that's about it. Big, well, they, they all work the, in terms of the way that they hunt. They all hunt the same way, which is they basically hide. And then mm. leap out at fish and crustaceans and stuff. Yes. And and well, I I've had a moray eel leap out at me. That's quite frightening when you're Have you? scuba diving. But Ooh, nasty. Yeah, you want to stay away from the morays. <laughs> oh, with with my with my fear of snakes, I think um, eels are a little bit too close to snakes for my liking. Yes. Well, the, like the way that. they swim is quite. They they swim in the same way that snakes move, which is right. they undulate, which they creates a, a a wave in the water, which yes. propels them forward. But an eel can go as fast backwards. As really? it can forwards, because it just has to undulate the other it way. Does it the other way? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I have to say that researching eels has been very, very enlightening. I, I, I'm now fascinated by eels. I think I think you've you've made more out of the eel section of this than the whole of the rest of the fish section. <laughs> you've, you've suddenly come to life whilst talking about eels. No one has ever found a European eel egg in the wild, ever. Really. I mean, they, you can farm them. You can take the sure. You can take the eels out of the sea and put them into a into a farm. Yeah, and you can have farm eels, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no one's ever found a wild egg. No. Wow. God, slippery little things. Well, you you say that they were cheap food, but actually, in medieval times, you could use eels to pay your taxes. They was they were so valuable. Really? So dried eels were used to pay taxes. There was a, a case in, a, in medieval Britain. In a, vi- a village had to pay the, the guy who owned the village, the, the earl. Yes. Um, I think it was 75,000 eels was an, was an annual rent for the village. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's quite a large tank of eels, isn't it? <laughs> that is a lo- well, I, they, were, they were dried. So I guess you can, you can sure. spend the year catching them and drying them or, or whatever and then yeah. give them to yeah. the, the lord of the manor. Well, as, your, as your rent fee. I'm purely hypothesizing right now, but um, having mentioned the fens of, of Cambridgeshire, is, I wonder if there's a connection between the word eel and the city of Ely. Ah. Do you suppose Ely is may, named after the fact well that do. there are lots of eels nearby? Could do. 
I don't Let's know. say it is. Let's if, anyone, let... if anyone can confirm or deny that, please well, drop it in the comments. That's what the comments are for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we'll, we'll probably find that there's a lot of people who are into eels who yes. comment hugely on, on the fact that I'm wrong about most of this stuff. <laughs> Which we welcome. Yes. We're not, we're not experts. We're, not, we're just two chaps having a natter like uh, you would down the pub, getting it wrong. About fish. About fish. Exactly. Which we knew very little about until we started to do some research. <laughs> we know a lot more. <laughs> Apart from the fact they were delicious. Yes. Now, we talked to, oh, you, you did, you, um, we could talk about dangerous fish. Oh, go on then. In fact, the eel mm. um, is also poisonous. Is it? Um, it can take you, it'll send you into anaphylactic shock if you eat raw eel. Oh. Um, because it has a toxin in it, which is, um, the toxin is um, eliminated by cooking. Okay. Right. So, so a cooked eel, not a problem. Raw eel. So it's it's there to put predators off. Yes, exactly. Biting into it. Yeah. So that's right. that's not a nice thing to eat. But there are also things like lionfish, which are which are hugely poisonous, and stonefish, which are even more poisonous, that live more in sort of like the warmer waters of the Caribbean and yeah. Indian Ocean. And jellyfish, which aren't fish. That's true. Have you ever been stung by a jellyfish? I haven't, but I've heard it's not comfortable. So, that, so we don't know very much about, uh, about, about fish at all, but there are some fish that we know quite a lot about, generally because we eat them. And one <laughs> right. of those is, is salmon. Right, okay. And there's lots of different types of salmon. There's chum and pink and chinook and sockeye and, and, and coho. But, but they all have this thing where they return to where they were born yes. to, to spawn again. Yes. Um, we, we, we both live fairly close to the River, river Thames in different areas of it but quite close to the river thames and um in my neck of the woods there are a series of what they call salmon leaps ah. installed which are sort of um i guess they're kind of like staircases with water <laughs> running over them that help the salmon to to go around locks and weirs and things in their journey back upstream to to where they come from in order to to breed So we've we've moved on from the live ones to the dead ones, which we consume um, as a nice little transition. Um, I started looking at uh, how much fish do we consume, where does our fish come from, all that sort of stuff, without getting too um, political or anything. The majority of the fish that we catch around British shores is sold off to elsewhere, mostly to the EU. And the majority of fish that we eat in the UK comes from elsewhere, uh, largely Sweden, Denmark, and Germany. I don't know why that is, but it's an interesting thing. Yes, I think that um, the Norwegians have, have actually been quite clever about the use of their fish because their their fish generally don't have parasites. And in fact, there was a very clever, I think he was Norwegian, salesman who went to Japan and tasted some of their sushi and went, mm. oh, this is, this is nice. And they said, oh, that's the hardest. We, we never really have salmon sushi because there's so many parasites in salmon that it's impossible to make it into really good sushi. And the Norwegian guy said, Norwegian salmon doesn't have parasites. Really? And the Japanese went, this is very interesting. Huh. And from that conversation, something like 20% of all Norwegian salmon is shipped to Japan. Wow. And we now, it's now quite common to see salmon in sushi, whereas a few years ago, yep. it actually wasn't. 
So yes, eating fish. Um, in, in the UK, we have over 10,000 fish and chip shops. We spend £1.2 billion a year at fish and chip shops. And we consume a rough, uh, a rough number of 167 million meals of fish and chips per year in this country. I think that sounds reasonable. Yeah. And, and so that's me. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> my, my local chippy here in, in Shepparton has a, a sign outside it saying Fish Friday, which I you know, didn't used to think anything of. It's, it's a nice bit of alliteration. Yep. You can have fish any day of the week, obviously. Um, but the, the more I've thought about it, the more I realized Fish Friday is actually a thing that people frequently eat fish on a Friday. And I hadn't really realized this. Um, I just thought it was a marketing ploy by the fish and chip shop. Um, but I started looking into it, and it, it turns out it is a, a Christian thing. Because uh, in the Christian faith, Jesus was, was killed on Good Friday. And out of a, a mark of respect, early Christians decided not to eat meat of warm-blooded animals on a Friday. Ah. Uh, which left them rather conveniently open to cold-blooded animals. So they started eating fish on a Friday. And um, this has just carried on. It's it sort of become a tradition, particularly in the Catholic world. When Henry VIII had his little bit of a tiff with the Roman Catholic Church, um, he decided to completely abolish that. You know, this, this is a, a popish dish to eat fish on a Friday. We're going to scrap that altogether. So he stopped fish fasting by a matter of law. Uh, and it wasn't until his son Edward took over that, that Fish Fridays came back into place. And, and they've been there ever since. Aha. Uh -huh. Now, uh, another area of fish that I had a, a little bit of a, a look into um, was pet fish. Aha, uh -huh. um, yes, the tank. The tank, the fish tank or the fish bowl. So we, we as a nation appear to be quite keen on, on keeping fish. Uh, I've never owned one. I've never seen the attraction of it. But um, apparently this country, uh, 4 million UK households own a pet fish. Is that probably goldfish that they want at the fair or something? Well, quite possibly, but it also includes tropical fish, which are a, a really you know serious thing these days. Um, you know, buying the equipment, the tank, the filtration systems, the correct food, um, identifying which fish is is right for your environment, and and so on and so on. It's it's quite a big industry, and we spend apparently <laughs> as a nation we spend four to five hundred million pounds a year on pet fish ownership. Goodness me. Um, something I found out about goldfish is um, that their size is dependent on their environment. Ah. So if you have so, one in a, in a fishbowl, it's never going to grow out, it's never going to outgrow the fishbowl. Precisely. If you release a goldfish, uh, it will grow. Um, and quite a few goldfish have been released. You know, as you say, the... the Goldfish has been purchased at the fair or given as a birthday present. The novelty has worn off. The, the fish has been ceremonially released by flushing it down the toilet. Um, and they're once... not always dead, you know. When no, precisely. When no, they're, they're floating. Not. Yeah. Because yeah. They, they have a float bladder. Okay. And if they get an infected float bladder, they, they float. Mm -hmm. But they're not actually dead. So sometimes you'll see a fish that's kind of got an infection. Right. And you're going, oh, poor thing. 
flush it down the toilet, give it give, give it a um, a Viking funeral, and um, <laughs> and then it suddenly recovers. And it's reco- and, and wherever it gets to, it's yeah. going to recover or die. Right, because those infections, those, bla- those bladder infections, can be fatal. well. Apparently, the ones that don't die of the bladder infections, the ones that are released and and let out into the wild, they seem to do quite well when they're not confined by the goldfish bowl. They can reach up to two feet long in the sewers. Sewers, which eventually lead out to rivers. Rivers. Wow. Um, they can be quite dangerous in the wild because they they eat a lot of things and they can ruin the biodiversity of the the local area. Goodness me. So don't release your goldfish, Bruce. Or if you do release it, release it into the ground rather than into the water. Yes. <laughs> and on the subject of goldfish, we, we all know the wonderful fact that goldfish only have a memory of three seconds. And is that true? Uh, no, it's not. It's not at all. Um, again, maybe whilst they're swimming around in their bowl looking a little bit gormless, um, perhaps it's, it's sort of understandable. But... Um, uh, an American student, uh, as part of her second year university studies, um, did an experiment with her pet goldfish. And she created a little maze um, to put in the, the fish tank. And she encouraged, by way of putting food here and there, she encouraged her goldfish to swim through the maze in a particular way. And um, doing this over a period of time, she she found that this goldfish had a memory of up to a month. Because wow. it, after a month, it was still going the same route through the maze, even after she'd taken away the treats. Um, so that whole thing of the three-second memory is is not necessarily true, unless she just had a very intelligent goldfish. Um, so this thing about goldfish not having a good memory, is that true? Well, no, it's not, actually, because um, there was a, a student <laughs> who, um, hang on, we've been here before. <laughs> I think that's a brilliant place to, to, to stop fishing. I think it is. I think it's high time we stop carping on about all of this stuff. Oh, dear. Um, Are we in the right place, though? Oh, nice. Well, there we go, then. So thank you to all of our listeners. And don't forget to do the usual bits and pieces, which are, Simon? Uh, clicking, liking, subscribing, commenting, telling other people. Uh, you can even visit our, our website at www.factorally.com where you can find all of our previous episodes ready for you to listen to at your leisure. Marvellous. So thank you very much for listening. See you all next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>